All right, good morning to both Instagram and Facebook. Um, just a reminder if you, you see my eyes wandering up and down, it's because I've got two different screens going here. I hope everybody's doing well this morning. I have to be honest with you, I'm not. I'm getting old. I'm getting old. I got a birthday coming up uh, in a couple weeks, and man, I feel the. I feel the age. I, I, if I looked like a robot this morning, it's because I injured myself sleeping, which is one of the most obvious signs that you are getting old, right? When you're young, if you are injured, it's because you did something. You, you know the thing you did that injured you, right? You, you jumped off something, <laughs> you got tackled, or you were running, or you did something remotely athletic, and that's how you got injured. Uh, when you're old, you just go to bed, you were perfectly healthy, and then you wake up and you can't move your neck. Um, and that's where I am this morning. I, I can't I can't move my neck. I haven't been able to move it for like four days because I slept weird. And that's just one of those wonderful reminders that I'm getting old and that these bodies are not meant to last for eternity. Um, I hope you're having uh, a good Sunday. If, if you're starting your Sunday, that's right, right up now. I hope you're uh, I hope you're safe. I hope you're not stressed. Hope you're sane. Um, I know quarantine's kind of getting to everybody in different ways, shapes, and forms. But glad you're here. Glad that you are are listening to this. I hope that it's uh, fulfilling to you. I hope it brings you closer to the Lord. I hope it gives you a lot for you to meditate and think upon. Um, I will give one little disclosure here, just like one tiny little disclosure as people are joining. Um, this is not church, okay? So churches are closed. And so there's there's something to remember. Uh, when the church building you went to is closed and you can't go to it, you should know that one, that building was not your church. Okay, the building's not the church. You should also know that if you're sitting on the couch at home watching people sing, and maybe you're singing, and maybe you're listening to a sermon, that's also not church, right? Church and worship are different things. The church is the body of believers all across the world that have the Spirit of God in them and that are united by the Spirit of God, that are united by the blood of Christ that has washed all of us clean. And we are all those people that have the mission to go forward and to make disciples in all nations. That's the church. The church is the people. And being the church is not one, us dressing nice and going to church and listening to a pastor speak for a few minutes and then leaving. And it's also not us sitting us on the couch, singing a few songs, listening to a sermon, and then being done. Being the church is being a people that live the way of God all day, every day, 24-7. And so this is a great time for us to be reminded of what it means to be the church. It's a great time where a lot of our, our traditions and rituals are paused because we can't do what we've always done before. Um, but it's also a great time for us to sit here and go, hey, we are the church. How do we do that? How do we do that every single day of our lives? I will encourage you, this is a wonderful time for you to, to look at how do you lead your family and yourself in worshiping at your house, right? Um, I, I think if anything good can come out of all this, I think one of the good things that can come is the practice of we worship at the house, that my home is a place of worship that where I am is a place of worship and so I encourage you don't just be listening to sermons here and there if you got little ones in the house um, find ways to worship with them right do do prayer time as a family um, 
pick some songs and I mean YouTube has a bunch of songs you can go see the lyrics on um, I have uh, iPhone music or iTunes Apple music whatever they call it I sound so old I don't even know what it's called um, and it, it scrolls the lyrics so we'll put that on the TV and we'll sing songs but like this is a time for you to practice the ability to worship in your home and it's a great time for you to teach your family and, and remind yourselves that worship occurs everywhere it's not just at that building you were used to going to worship occurs everywhere um, I, and don't get me wrong I look forward so much to the day that the doors reopen and we can go back to church and we can hug on people and shake hands and uh, do all those things because there is something beautiful about that corporate worship um, but, but get the best out of what you can in these situations uh, if you have your Bibles, today we're going to be looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Second, uh, it's coming in, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It's a, it's a verse that you see a lot of people reference uh, quite often, uh, especially in, in times like this where there's something so huge happening that it's, um, it feels worldwide or nationwide. Uh, and where people are, are praying and asking for God to intervene and to fix things. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, good morning to everybody who's joined. I see a bunch of people joining here. Good to see you guys. All right. Let's go ahead and read this together. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says, and this is God, and he is talking to Solomon. And I'll actually jump back to 13. He says, If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attended to the prayer offered in this place. And so, it's a very small passage. And it's very important for us that when we're reading a passage like this, that we remember the original context. And that we just don't assume, oh, well, hey, that means this is us, and this is how you do things. Uh, you always got to sit there and think about what was happening. And so this is, this is God talking to Solomon. He's talking to Solomon about the people of Israel. He's talking about uh, the, the temple. And he's talking about this place of worship that they have built that represents God's house and God's presence. And, and what he's saying is when, when famine, pestilence, when these things strike the land, I don't want you to look at those things and just assume they're random. Assume that there is a message there. Assume that something is happening there. Assume that I'm trying to tell you something here. And he gives them this 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 beautiful verse in 14 about what do you do when that happens what do you do when you look around the land and you see that the land is broken the land is sick what do you do to ask for healing because it's not just that you ask and so in 714 he kind of lays out these different things he says my people who are called by my name humble themselves pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and and what we have to acknowledge is, is that God hears everything. God always knows what's going on in our lives. He's always present. He sees the pain. He hears every prayer we have. He knows all of our thoughts. He's not saying that you have to do these things for him to hear him. But what he's saying is for him to attentively respond to what we're saying. There are some steps that happen in that relationship. 
And, and one of the things I want to be careful with as we look at this scenario that we're in with uh, coronavirus is I, I see people who who want to speak so authoritatively about what God did or didn't do in these moments. I've heard Christians say, well, this, this is not God. Um, you know, God doesn't cause these things. Um, that God will get us through it. And, and so they kind of disconnect any kind of pain and hurt that's come from the virus from God. And like, no, this is not connected. I see others who are like, this is God's judgment. This is God's wrath. And here's the thing. I don't know. I don't know. You don't know. Until we hear God, God's voice speak on this, we don't know. We don't know if this is a man-made issue. We don't know if this is a God-made issue. What we do know is God has allowed it. And what we do know is that when God allows something like this to happen in our lives, that we should be praying not just for the strength and ability to survive the storm, and then also praying for the healing of the land and for the healing of this thing to go away, but we should also be asking ourselves, what do we learn in the midst of this? What do we learn and how do we grow in the midst of the storm? And what I can definitely tell you where the Israelites were different than us is they would have absolutely looked at something like this that's happening. And there's no way they would have disconnected it from God. They would have immediately jumped to and assumed that something like this hitting the world, something like this hitting their country, that this is a this is something from God. This is God's wrath. This is God's message to us. God's trying to say something, and we need to respond. And so I encourage you to be open and prayerful and considerate about those things. Maybe God does have, a, a, well, absolutely God has a message for us in this. But maybe he did have this happen to us. Maybe this was a time to wake us up. Uh, or maybe this is something that is a result of man's sin and man's brokenness. And so God's going to be here to comfort us and guide us through. One way or the other, there is a message from God in the midst of this. And one way or the other, what Second Chronicles 7 reveals to us is a strategy. A strategy for when we're asking God to heal us. A strategy of how you and I think about that, how you and I pray, and how you and I respond. And I think this is important because sometimes we... We treat God differently and more naively than we would even treat other human beings. So, for example, um, when, when you as a grown-up do something very, very bad um, or mess something up very, very bad, we know that you don't just walk in and go, I'm sorry, and that's it. It's done, right? Well, I said I'm sorry, right? It, 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 true repentance uh, true apology is, is more than just you issuing a two-word sentence saying, I'm sorry. There, there's a lot more that has to come into that. There's a lot more that needs to be poured into a true apology. And what God reveals to us here in Second Chronicles 7.14 is there's a process too when we sit there with God. Right? If you and I, and we should be honest about this every day, every day you and I mess up. Every single day. Every day you and I sin multiple times. Multiple times we fall short of the glory of God. Multiple times we make decisions that don't honor or glorify Him. And so every night, every day, we should have a responsibility in our relationship with God to sit there with Him and go, Lord, I need your forgiveness. God, I need your forgiveness. I need you to help me with who I am. I need you to help heal this, this flesh, this broken body, because 
Every day I make decisions. Every day I make mistakes. Every day I do things that are wrong. And so in Second Chronicles 7.14, I think you see God outlining. And granted, this was originally the Israelites and Solomon, but I think you see God outlining some principles that are helpful for us when we are coming to God and asking for him to heal us, to heal our land, to heal our world, to heal our nation. And it's more than just simply going, I'm sorry, Lord, help me out. There's, there's a greater depth to that. And so I want us to look at that. So let, let's break down the steps we see here. The first thing we see, the first thing we see him say is that in Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, if they humble themselves, Brothers and sisters, humility is such a hugely important thing in our relationship with God. And the reason that humility, I think, is so important in our relationship with God is not just that it opens us up to God's power, God's wisdom, God's love in our lives, but that ultimately, what we always need to remember about this book and what we always need to remember about Christianity is Christianity is not a religion in the sense that this is not just a bunch of rituals and traditions that were given to us for our practice to make us better versions of ourselves. This is about a loving, intimate relationship between you and God. And this book outlines God's relationship with his people throughout time. In the Old Testament, it's his relationship between God and the Israelites. In the New Testament, it mainly focuses on Jesus and the church. And all these things are given to you and I because it helps us understand since God does not change. If this is how God has loved and disciplined and worked with the Israelites, and if this is how God through Jesus worked and was there for the church, then we can take this and go, this is how he's going to be in a relationship with me. And so... Humility is so important because if we can just start with a very simple premise that God is perfect. He is holy, he is righteous, he is perfect, and I am not. And and then I realize that in this relationship I'm supposed to be spending all kinds of time with him. I'm supposed to be in his presence. I'm supposed to hear his word. I'm supposed to be surrounded by him. Well, if you are constantly around perfection, if you are constantly around someone who makes no mistakes, who is unbelievably powerful, unbelievably righteous, unbelievably gracious, unbelievable merciful, right? Just unbelievable in every way, shape, and form, and you're not those things, then there's really no way you should be proud. You should walk away. If you are constantly in an intimate relationship with God, you should constantly be reminded of the fact that He is so awesome. He's so perfect, and I'm not. And so I think the reason humility is so important, and you often hear God call to it and talk to it, is those who are proud, it is a sign, not only that they are inflating themselves, but that they also are distancing themselves from God. Because if they were constantly in the presence of God, arrogance and pride are, are just almost impossible to have. And so I think when we look at this, humbling ourselves, we need to remind ourselves that this was something that Christ has always been an example of. That, that Christ, even in his own perfection, constantly modeled for us this, this humility. In John 4.34, Jesus said this. He said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
right? When, when people talk to Jesus about Jesus, what is the most important thing to you? How do you sustain yourself? How do you keep yourself moving? What fills you? Jesus' response was, what keeps me moving? What is my fuel is to accomplish the work and the will of my Father God. That's what I do. And where this is so important for you and I to understand is, remember who Jesus is. Remember who he is. In Philippians 2.6 it says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Right? Unlike you and I, where there is clearly this, this, this chasm between God's perfection and our unbelievable brokenness and sinfulness, Jesus didn't have that. Jesus didn't have that breakdown. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is God. Jesus, in essence, is everything that God is. But what did he do? He took on the role of son and did not regard himself as an equal of God in the way that he lived his life. His goal was to what? To serve God, to serve his will, and to serve his kingdom. And so if we're going to be Christians, brothers and sisters, if we want to take on the name of Christ, then we've got to strive to have that same kind of humility. We've got to strive that our food every day is to not do our own will, but to do His. Jesus exemplified this for us in, in many different ways, and I want to kind of connect some different things that we need to look at. In Matthew chapter uh, 22, 36 through 40, uh, we get the greatest commandment. And it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus, he says to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And so th there's two pieces that I think you see happening there when it, when it comes to uh, humility. It, the, the first is we are called to love God with everything we are. Everything. Right? It is an intellectual love where I know who he is, I know what he's done for me, I know who I am and I can lean on that knowledge of who God is and have a love for him because of those facts. Those solid facts about who he is and what he's done. At the same time, there is a love that I have for him that is unbelievably emotional. Right? It's not just facts and knowledge. This isn't just cold, hard truth. There is a passion and a fire and a love in my heart because of what God has done for me and what he has meant in my life and the way that he has been there for me. This love that I have for God needs to be fully consuming of the totality of who I am. And, and why that's important in relation to humility is, brothers and sisters, love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. It is the joyful sacrifice for the benefit of another. When you love people, one of the greatest things that changes is you no longer are in a relationship for what you can get out of it. You are in a relationship for what you can give the other person how can what what can I sacrifice what can I do for you what can I give you 
What can I do to bring you joy and to bring you benefit? That becomes the passion of your life. And so humility and love are so deeply tied to each other. And so we've got to look at that in our own lives. Where does this humility come into our hearts? Do we wake up humble? And this is a hard thing because I'll be real with you. I don't think... I don't think you and I even fully understand how selfish we are. <laughs> I really don't. Um, and what I mean by that is, it's just ingrained into us, right? How much of your day is spent on you thinking about how comfortable you are, about how hungry you are, or what you want to eat, or what you want to watch, or what you want to listen to, or what you want to wear, or what item you need, or what shopping thing you want to go buy, or... Right? Me, 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 um, Even when we step out and do things for other people, there is still just such a tendency where this flesh, this body, I don't have to ever train it to think about me. It just does that. If you really want to be a humble person who's focused on other individuals in your life, that is almost always something you have to train yourself to do. Because your body is just naturally inclined to think about itself. And so I think this is one of those things where we've got to be very strong in our lives thinking about how much do I put God first? How much of my day is thinking about His will, His kingdom, His desire? And so this comes to the second part that we see in Second Chronicles chapter 7. It says... As we look at verse 14, it says, they humble themselves, and what? They pray. They pray. Prayer is such an important thing in our relationship with God because not only is it us conversing with God, not only is it us having this, this discussion with Him where if we go back to what I said at the beginning of this, Christianity is about a relationship between you and God. Well, if you ever want to know how strong a relationship is, look at how much people talk to each other. Right? If, if, if you have people who don't converse, don't spend time together, don't talk, then almost always you're going to see there's some rift or some break or, or some weakness in their relationship. Well, if you're sitting there and you're like, well, I, I talk to God in the morning and I talk to God at night and maybe real quick before I eat. That's not a great relationship. Prayer is not contained to three or four structured times of your day. Prayer the conversation with God needs to be something that is just in your life, day in and day out. It consumes moment after moment after moment after moment. It should be a thing like as you think about your day, as you think about a decision, as you think about what you're going through, you're not just conversing with yourself in your head, but you're praying to the Father and going, God, here's something that's coming. What should I do? God, how should I approach this? God, here's what I'm thinking about. God, what's your wisdom? God, what can I do to glorify you, right? There's a conversation occurring. And so prayer is important because it shows that intimacy. And prayer is also important because what prayer often reminds us of is we need him. We need him. And we hate that. Right? We, we want to believe we've got everything in their control. We want to believe in our wisdom, in our strength, in our ability that we have the capability to take care of our families, to take care of ourselves, to 
provide for everyone we love. And, and yes, God in many ways has given us that ability, but you know what you're constantly reminded of in life? You don't have control. That you aren't as capable as you wish you were. You know, it, it, even little things like I was sharing with you, uh, you know, I wake up and my neck's all messed up. These are reminders to me of, of how much I need God. Right? I, there are some days that it's just enough for me to get through the day, let alone trying to save the world. And the reminders to us that even no matter how great or talented or magnificent we may think we are at times, prayer is when we fall to our knees and go, God, Father, I need you. Father, I need you. Because I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the resources internally in and of myself to get me and my family and the ones that I love through all this. I need you. I need you. And what we see about prayer is prayer, as we look back to Jesus as our example, was such a key part of his life. It was such a key part. In Mark 135 it said, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. I'm always blown away by this because when you think about who Jesus is, right, everything Jesus says is scripture. Everything Jesus says is the word of God. Um, he, he is God, but what was his primary focus and drive? His relationship and his intimacy with God the Father. And the busier and crazier his life became, the more you see him focused on being alone with his Father, talking with his Father, and being in deep prayer with his Father. He hungered for this, he needed this, and he was driven by it. And so one of the things I look around at the, the current opportunities, a lot of distractions are gone. How are you reusing that time? If you're using that time just scrolling through Instagram, scrolling through Facebook, scrolling through TikTok, scrolling through whatever, and not using it as time to sit there with God, to talk to Him, then you're missing an opportunity. Jesus was saving the universe, and even in the midst of saving the universe, He made time to be with his father. In Matthew 14, 23, we see a similar thing. It would say, after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Right, so you see him start his day in prayer. You see him then after exerting all this energy of teaching, caring, and loving people, what does he have to do? He has to go away to a secluded place to be with his father and to talk to him. You get the sense from Jesus just constantly that this was the fuel, right? He said it to us earlier. What is my food? To do the work and the will of my Father. And, and you get the sense that throughout his days, throughout his life, him being close to the Father was everything. In fact, we talked about this on, on Good Friday. The only time you really hear Jesus cry out in Scripture in pain and hurt is not through any of the physical pain he goes through. It's when the weight of the sin of the world is put upon his shoulders and his father withdraws from him because in that moment Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. In that moment Jesus is the shepherd or the sheep that carries all the sin with it. And it's in that moment that Jesus cries out in pain. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? The only time you really sense him in pain is not any of the brutality that's put upon him. It's when he's distant from his father. 
Man, is that true of us? Is that true of us that that the greatest pain in our lives is nothing that could happen to our bodies? Nothing that could happen to our finances? But the greatest pain in our lives comes when there's distance between us and God. That's how it worked for the Lord. Luke 6.12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. The whole night in prayer to God. Jesus showed over and over and over and over again. His priority was being intimate, being deep in his relationship with God, and having the strength and unity there. It's a key piece. And you see God calling for that in 2 Chronicles. One, be humble. Two, pray to me. Converse with me. Have a relationship with me. Don't simply treat me as the genie in the bottle that you come to. Lay out all your wish lists, all your needs, and go, Father, please take care of these things for me. No. Have a real intimate relationship where you are with God constantly, continually, and regularly. He's not just your get-out-of-jail card. He's not just your, your lifeline in times of emergencies. And I think that's kind of where you see the next part coming, right? He says, humble themselves, pray, and what? What in prayer? Seek my face. They pray and they seek my face. I stress this a lot, but I stress this a lot because I think there are some people who, who their whole idea of Christianity is unbelievably backwards. It's why I think sometimes you come to some of these passages in Scripture that, that are scary. Um, in Matthew 7, right, Jesus talks about how in the end days there will be those who won't get into heaven and they'll go, but Lord, Lord, didn't, didn't I do these works for you? Lord, Lord, didn't I prophecy in your name? Lord, Lord, didn't I do X, Y, and Z? And Jesus is going to go, but I never knew you. Yeah, you called yourself a Christian. Yeah, you did some Christian activities. But you and I... I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. And so when I look at this this term, seek his face, it, it, it pierces my heart on what is your, your motivation? Why are you a Christian? Why do you go to God? Are you going to God for what he has or for who he is? And there's a huge difference there. Do you only love God because of what you think God can give you? And what you think God can provide you? Or are you in love with God because you love God? You love his character. You love his personality. You love who he is. And whether you wake up and feel all the blessings pouring on top of you, or whether you wake up and go, man, this is a hard stretch of life. None of that breaks your love for him because your love is not dependent on what he's giving you. It's dependent on who he is. Right? All of us want this in, in personal relationships. Right? None of us ever want to realize that we were only loved for uh, you know, what we had. If any of us ever wake up and realize that we were only loved because of our looks or because of our money or because of uh, our popularity or because of something we had, and not for who we are. We'd be devastated. 
And so I ask you, when you pray, what are you seeking? Is your prayer life and your relationship with God focused on what you want from Him? Is it focused on this laundry list of things that you wish He would give you? God, give me patience. God, give me power. God, give me strength. God, give me comfort. God, take away my stress. God, take away my worry. God, take away the pain. God, make my body strong. God, make my spirit strong. God, help me have a good relationship with my wife. God, help me have a good relationship with my kids. God, give right. Is it just, are you just there all day just give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me? Or when you sit down and pray, do you go, God, I just want to know you. I just want to know you. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? What do you want me to accomplish? Where do you want me, Father? Right? Is our focus, what can I get from you, God? Or is my focus, God, how do I get closer to you? I just want to hear your voice better. That's what I want. I don't care if you take away this pain. I don't care if you take away this hurt. I don't care if you heal my body. I don't care if you heal this land. I want to be close to you. That's what I want. That's what I hunger for. Do we seek him like that? I think some of us, our relationship and our, and our idea of Christianity is, let me do some good things so God owes me. And then I can get some stuff from him. It's a backwards way to think and it's not what this is built off of. It's about us being in love with God. And you see this. You see this in Jesus' prayer life. Matthew 6, 9-13, through 13, he's teaching the people to pray. And remember how that prayer is structured. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What is Jesus' whole focus at the beginning of that prayer? My God, my Father is awesome. He is holy. He is to be praised. And I want to do his will. What is your will, Father? Your will be done. Right, that was the focus of the prayer. Uh, later in Matthew 26, as Jesus is in the garden, as he's thinking about his death and the sacrifice that he's going to be making, remember the prayer he makes. He says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Right, think about that moment. Jesus is about to face unbelievable pain and hurt. And is his prayer, God, take the pain away. God, please don't let me have this pain. Right? He feels that. And there's an urge to him to go, man, if there's any other way. But then what anchors him? What does he come back to? Not my will, yours. I'd rather take this pain and be in your will than not have the pain but be out of your will. I want your will, God. That's what I want. Later in verse 42, so right after he has another exchange with the disciples, he comes back and he says the same thing. My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. What was Jesus about? Jesus was not about what he could get from his father. He was about being with his father. He sought his father's face. He sought his father's face. Uh, we've talked about this before, but uh, go back to the story of the prodigal son. At the end of the story of the prodigal son, when the prodigal has returned, and there's this feast for the prodigal, the son who has always been there, the older son, comes out and complains. He comes out and he complains, and he's like, 
I've never had a feast. I never had a party like this. And what does the father say to him? The father says, but son, you've been here with me every day. Don't you get it? That's the gift. Yeah, your little brother's back and he gets to have a party. You've got to have me. You've had me. That's the gift. That is the focus. It's why this should be such a passion in our lives. This book should mean so much to us because what is it? It's his word. It's his letter to us. Right? It's, it's, it's that desire that you see in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved to God, a workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. Right? We, we are in this book, not just because I'm trying to pull out the wisdom to apply to my life, but why? Because this is the words of my Father. The words of my God. And so all of that leads us to where? It leads us to repentance. Right? If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and what? And repent. If they will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them and I will hear their land. Repentance has to be something that's in our lives and in our hearts. And I think it's a natural thing when we have an intimate relationship with God. One of my favorite stories happens in Luke chapter 5. And in Luke chapter 5, you have this miracle uh, of, of Jesus uh, giving the disciples, uh, James, John, and, and Peter, and Andrew, the great catch of fish. And so if you remember the story, the guy's been fishing all night. They haven't caught a single thing. They're pulling ashore. Jesus is preaching. Uh, Jesus gets in their boat so that he can preach more effectively to the crowds. And after he's done with that, he tells them, hey, let's go out and cast the nets. And, and Peter, Simon Peter, is, is a fisherman. is like, uh, God, we fished all night. <laughs> We're not going to catch anything. We, we, there's no fish in this water. This is the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong moment. It's not going to happen. But it, if you ask for you, I will. And they catch so many fish, it starts to tear their nets. They catch so many fish, it starts to sink multiple boats. And I've always loved this story because this is where you see why Simon Peter was so special. Simon Peter in that moment realizes Jesus is not just a teacher. He realizes te Jesus is God. And he falls down and says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Right, The moment he is fully in awareness that it is God who stands before him his heart is drawn to repent. <laughs> That's his most natural reaction is, oh my gosh, this is God. This is perfection. This is holiness. And he falls to his knees and he repents. And so brothers and sisters, why repentance should be so easy for you and I is if we're constantly in the presence of God, not only are we going to constantly have his love, his strength, and his comfort, but we will also be drawn to ask him to forgive us for the, the weaknesses in our lives. That will just come naturally to us. In 1 John 1, nine, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
I really pray that as, as our normal has been broken, both as individuals and as a nation, that this will cause us all to reflect. This will cause all of us to think about the way we spend our lives, the way that we act, the way that we behave, and that it will point out to us those places in our lives that when they come under the light of the brilliance of God, we realize that darkness needs to go away. We realize that there are things that need to change. And my prayer is that not that this will become our normal, this quarantine life, but that when we leave this, we will create a better normal, a stronger normal, a more holy normal. Because God will have shined his light on our lives and revealed to us those things that are broken and those things that need to change. And so, brothers and sisters, we get them to the last point. If they will humble themselves, if they will pray, if they will seek my face, and if they will turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from them from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Brothers and sisters, all of us need healing. Jesus did not come for the healthy, he came for the sick. And that's why I am willing to admit every single day of my life I am sick. I am broken. I need him. I need him badly. I need him desperately. And my prayer as we look at a verse like this is not just that we pray for the healing of our country and of our world, but that we pray for the healing of our souls, both as individuals and as a people. Because to be honest, you know the greatest thing plugging us is not coronavirus. The greatest thing plugging us is sin. The greatest thing plugging us is this hunger in each of us to be our own gods and to go our own ways. And what we really need is we need God, the Father, to be our Lord and to be our shepherd. We need Him to lead us, to love us, to heal us, and to wash us clean. That is what we need. And so I pray that healing comes to us. I pray that we're able to do these things, humble ourselves, pray and seek his face, repent from our sins. And what I know without a doubt is if we do those things, he will heal this. He will heal this. And if this is strong, if this is powerful, it doesn't matter what circumstance we face. We will be victorious. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. Father, that you haven't given up on us is so amazing. And after all the times we've messed up, after all the mistakes that we have made, of all the times that we have turned from you, Lord, that you just continue to love us, show us mercy and grace. What a testament to how much you love us, Father. Father, I pray that we will hear the words that you have given us, that we will take them to heart, and that we will put them to practice. Pray that we will be humble. That we will seek after you, Lord, not just the stuff you have. That we will turn away from our sins. Not just say sorry, but turn away from our sins. And I have all the confidence in the world, Lord, that if we do those things, you will bring healing. 
Father, we love you, we serve you, and we bring you praise. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody, who, who turned in today. Thank you, everybody, who was here. Uh, again, I encourage you to bring worship into your house, bring worship into your home. Um, just stay strong, stay hopeful, stay joyful, even in the midst of all these different trials. Uh, I see one of my friends is on here, Miss Debbie. I believe today is her birthday, so Miss Debbie, if you're watching, happy birthday to you, ma'am. Uh, we love you and miss you. I love and miss you all. Please stay safe. If there's any way that we can pray for you, um, any way that we can help, please you know, send me a message. Uh, I'll be glad to be praying for you guys throughout the week. God bless you. We'll see you soon.